I am Allison Cole, and even though I am a licensed psychologist, I am here to only provide general information about psychological and emotional issues, but my guest and I will not be rendering psychological or healthcare advice for any individual or for his or her particular situation. If you are seeking a diagnosis, treatment, or advice regarding medical or mental health issue, please request a referral for a psychologist, psychotherapist, or licensed professional. Good morning. Welcome back to our podcast, What Does It Take to Heal? I'm Corey Griffiths, person in long-term recovery, professional drug and alcohol interventionist, and I've had a lifelong interest in all forms of healing. I'm here today collaborating with Dr. Allison Cole, psychologist and owner of Create Outcomes, to do this podcast and uncover what it really takes to heal. Good morning, Dr. Cole. Good morning, Corey. I'm also here with four-time Grammy award-winning producer, Toby Wright, who happens to be my older brother and the creator of Tom's. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Corey. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Would you tell us a little about Tom's and what you're going to do today with it? Well, Tomes is a natural sleep and sound healing portal located on the internet at www.tomes.com. And um, what I'm going to do today at the end of this podcast is I'm going to, we're going to experience a bit of a sound bath, um, which I will play the tonalities. Um, This one will be called Ti Amo, which is Italian for love. Fantastic. So I really recommend that our listeners stay tuned to hear Tiamo. I think some of the sound healing that Tomes produces has not only calmed my mind before sleep, but has allowed me to feel much more calmer throughout the day. So I'm sure they'll appreciate it, Toby. Well, thank you, and I hope they stay tuned for that. Even though the titles of this episode and our last are similar, We're talking today about what to do once you have chosen a therapist and started sessions. Last episode, we gave you questions to ask before you choose a therapist and start investing time and money. Once you've begun the relationship with a therapist, there are a few things to look for to know whether you chose the right therapist for you. So a quick anecdote, as you know, I've been seeking therapy in different ways for for a long time and there was a time when I had a choice between two therapists I was in a treatment center and I wanted to do therapy I I believed that it would help but I was given a choice between two therapists one I got along with incredibly well we had conversations regularly about uh you know, philosophy and armchair capitalism. So we got along incredibly well. This is someone that I consider could consider a friend were it not for some therapeutic boundaries that he had. Someone that I really, really connected with on a personal level, which I understand is probably the most important thing that needs to exist for the therapeutic process to even happen. So we we connected incredibly well. So I had one therapy session with him, and we sat in his room. He said, this is kind of experiential. I don't know if he was messing with me or not, but he had me lay down on the couch, 
and said, I want you to imagine that you're walking down a stairway to hell. <laughs> I obliged. I, was, I abided, right? So I shut my eyes and I picture myself walking down this stairway to hell. And it's, you know, he's asking what it's like. And I'm like, well, it's a circular staircase and it's, it's dark and kind of creepy. And he's like, well, what do you see? And I'm like, well, I see bricks and stairs. There's moss and it's kind of wet on the walls. And I can see there's fire coming from down below. Wow. And my mind just didn't, all I could think was, is this some psych trick to try and understand the demons that I have? Or well, was something. it helpful? Well, so it keeps going for a while. He keeps asking me questions. This was an entire session, right? So what do you see next? And I would just kind of, my mind would just create something, right? Well, it's like a green monster guy, but he's pretty cool. He's muscular and like walking by me. And he's like, what else do you see? I see a cat, you know, there's a black cat that just crossed the path, like the matrix or something and uh there seemed to be no point i thought there was some psych trick to it um i almost didn't know if he was messing with me or if there was something that i didn't understand if this was a therapeutic technique to try and get people to visualize certain so what you're saying is that you didn't really get much out of that part it sounds like you got a lot out of just the easy connection that the two of you had, that as you were joking about philosophy and music, that you felt the sort of authentic connection with him. But that when it got to the walk through hell, which does sound pretty bizarre, and I, I'm not quite sure where that comes from in terms of what his theory was, um, but who knows, maybe maybe there was a reason. The problem is that you didn't really understand what was happening in the room there. And I love that story. Um, I've laughed with you at that story a couple of times, uh, especially for this podcast, because we, some people go into therapy just like you did, not really understanding what the heck is supposed to happen there. And you're paying this person or you trust that because they have the license that they'll know what to do. So once you're in the room with them, it's it's good to kind of think about some of the things you should be looking for. And honestly, it sounds like you guys had a pretty good, authentic connection, so much so that it, you know, felt like he understood your political views and and the music and the philosophy. And like you said, it's true. I mean, all the research is telling us more and more is that it's really about the connection and kind of some common sense factors that really help to make therapy effective. I think the questionable part is that you didn't quite understand what the walk through hell was, was there to give you. Well, so should the person getting therapy ask why we're doing what we're doing before every session or if something <laughs> strange like that, that just seems out of the ordinary comes up. And I know I've asked you this before, but is it not just okay to ask a therapist, what exactly is this supposed to accomplish? But 
is there a point where we should just trust them and trust the process and let this go? Or should the person getting therapy always understand what type of therapy they're getting and ask the therapist to explain what that is? Yeah, I mean, if you don't understand what's happening in the room and it feels like something that is out of the ordinary, like, you know, asking to be taken through an imaginary walk through hell, then absolutely. And it, we went into that a lot when in our last episode when we talked about what questions to ask before you get there. Like, hopefully they have some theoretical orientation or method that they can speak to about why it is they're choosing to do the intervention that they're choosing to do. So I do think that sometimes, you know, in the process, you won't understand everything that the therapist is doing. Like, sometimes you won't understand why a therapist is questioning you about a certain area of your life that you might not think is as pressing or important. But it's always you're right. I mean, you're paying them to ask them, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you asking me that? Where are we going with this? What's your plan? How is this going to help me resolve what's underlying my anxiety or depression or whatever? But I think, you know, we gave one of the factors here that we want to look for when somebody's with their therapist, which is being authentic and, and feeling comfortable. Well, I absolutely respect him as a human being. He's still someone that I communicate with. At that point in time, I had a choice between two therapists, and one I really liked and the other I liked, but in a not-so-challenging way. But she did EMDR, and that was the determining factor in me choosing her over I think we should just tell our listeners what EMDR is just in case they don't know. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a really long name and doesn't totally speak to how it works, but it's specifically intended for trauma. Okay, go ahead, Corey. Just want to make sure they understood. Thank you, Dr. Cole. So I I knew a little bit about what EMDR was at that point, but At that point in time, the reason I was using it, I didn't think that I was a person who had experienced trauma. So my experience with the MDR was slightly different than the studies or the textbook version, but I can go into that a little later. I wanted to do the EMDR because that's what I thought I needed at the time, uh, not for trauma, just for anxiety, but I suppose it was still the belief that talk therapy didn't consist of anything but a conversation, where EMDR had this machine. So to me, it had this measurable source of healing. Yeah, I think EMDR um, in particular, the machine you're referring to is what we call the tappers and They also still do eye movement where you look at a dot sliding from one side to the other on the screen. And so if you're there for EMDR, I mean, honestly, a lot of the research on EMDR is mostly around how it would treat trauma, Um, but you were there to reduce your anxiety. And what I hear you saying is that you were pretty into the tappers and into the instrument 
but you weren't really having a connection with the therapist. Whereas in your last story, you had the connection with the therapist and not so much with the intervention. So it's a good example of how, you know, you can be in therapy and one part of it feels good, like the connection, but the other part, like the modality they're using, such as the tappers for EMDR feels like the part that's helping. And it can be really confusing. And that brings us back to, you know, the research and the book that I'm loving right now. And I know I've mentioned a couple times, Effective Psychotherapist by Miller and Moyer. I think that's how you say Moyer. And that book talks about, it's actually kind of disheartening in some ways for all of us who have spent a lot of time in training, but it says like it, it's kind of common sense, like a therapist just being really compassionate and genuinely curious about who you are as a person and also the relationship having some depth and authenticity is really what are the factors that make therapy effective and not always so much the exact modalities the person is using, even though that is still really important. I think, I think one of the reasons that even though it can get me in trouble as a therapist, I mix very authentic with my clients and it's easy to make mistakes when you really allow yourself to be more fully in the room. And I think if we have any therapists listening they'll know too that you know it it feels safer to kind of be more neutral and appear to have less of yourself in the room but the more you bring yourself into the room the more the client can trust just like anybody trust another person the more authentic they feel that that person can be but i have to say i've definitely made some mistakes with being overly authentic in the room with clients I get that. Um, I wanted to go back real quick. You're right. The EMDR therapist didn't need to be in the room. In fact, I asked her if I could use the tappers when she wasn't there. (laughs) And she said, uh, you know, oh, it can be dangerous because it can, you know, uh, get you kind of deep in your head. And I was like, I used to eat you know, half sheets of acid. I think I'll be fine with this. But I used it as like this meditation device and it worked very well for me. When you talk about authenticity and talk therapy, I think of Goodwill Hunting and Robin Williams and the character and this therapeutic process where, yeah, both people are very authentic. Um, you know, Matt, Damon's character is takes them a long time to have this breakthrough, but they have this moment where it's like, it's not your fault. Well, I know. It's not your fault. Well, I know. And it keeps going on, you know. Yeah, I remember and, that. I like that uh, movie. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And I think everyone wants to have that experience so as authentic and real as i can be with certain therapists and as well as they can listen or you know show up for me i've never had that magical experience i've had some breakthroughs but they're not like this you know one huge breakthrough that's like oh it's not my fault now i can let go and you know well that came from a 
what I mean obviously it was you know Hollywood so it's not exactly accurate about how things might go but what Goodwill Hunting did really portray well is that when there is a genuine attachment between a therapist and a client that there is a lot of deep work that can be done in that relationship that can heal past relationships where there wasn't an attunement to feelings and where there wasn't a resolution or where a parent didn't care enough to hold that person in there as a child in their feelings, even if those feelings meant holding them in feelings that were uncomfortable to help them have even breakthroughs when they were children. A lot of parents don't have that skill set. So a therapist is working to develop that genuine, authentic attachment so that maybe that person, maybe that client, like in Goodwill Hunting, can have this moment of, oh my goodness, like this is what it's like to feel loved. This is what it's like to be held accountable to be the best person I can be in this world. And like I just said, as a therapist who's probably too authentic in the room sometimes, I do make mistakes, but repairing those mistakes is something that is also a learning experience. And in my humility and admitting when maybe I didn't see the client in front of me clearly enough actually creates trust for us to have some more of those highly emotional, intense moments because they trust me. They trust that if I make a mistake that we'll get through it. And then the wonderful thing that comes out of it is similar to what you saw in Goodwill Hunting, that there can be a moment where I become emotional in the room um, I don't mean emotional in a way that's out of control or, you know, I mean emotional in response to a feeling that has come up with me about who they are and what's happening in their life story and their suffering. And when they can see that genuine care, they're able at that point to have to have those breakthroughs. And honestly, even if I did make a mistake being overly emotional, which I can admit that I have. <laughs> um, I always check it out and I'm curious about well, how did that impact you? How did that go? How did you think about that experience? What was it like for you to go through that with me? So that I always make sure they have the opportunity to voice and to express what it was to be on their side as the client of that healing process. I'm glad you brought that up. And what it reminds me of is my friend Sean said, what he always does is asks afterwards the other person, what was your experience with this, right? Because we believe that our perspective is what happened. And in taking responsibility for our own actions, we sometimes don't realize how the other person was affected so that was incredibly helpful to me to learn that but it also reminded me of a different therapist that i saw that was an entirely different experience this was i saw a uh, psychiatrist as a recommendation who already had my diagnosis or 
you know, an idea of who I was and what was wrong with me in her notes before I got there. So I show up, and there are these two women that looked very much alike, both sitting in the room. And so I introduced myself, you know, hi, I'm Corey. And one of them said, hi, I'm Jen or whatever. Uh, and this is Mary. She's taking notes. I didn't realize why there was two of them in there. I'm like, well, who's, which one of you is the uh, psychiatrist here? And she's like, oh, I'm a psychiatrist. This is my partner. Uh, she's taking notes. So it was two of them in the room, which kind of threw me off. I had a 15-minute appointment, uh, and they gave me some psychotropic, some kind of drug. I don't remember what it was uh, for bipolar, which I found the papers on just the other day, which reminded me of this, and the warning list of possible side effects for this new drug started with suicide uh, and just went on from yeah. there. It was five or six pages, and I remember this, A, it didn't work at all, uh, B, they took no time to get to know me, the, the woman barely looked up to see me at all, and there was two people in the room, which completely threw me off. Um, yeah, that's a bit weird. Yeah, I don't know how that fits in with this at all. Well, except, it, what it, is that? Like, how does that even happen in this in this field? Well, I mean, you're talking about a psychiatrist. Some psychiatrists do actually do therapy. Um, not all of them get you know, training to be therapists past whatever they did at med school, but a lot of them do. It sounds like, you know, I think that there were a lot of things about that psychiatrist, even if they aren't doing therapy and they're there to prescribe medication. I mean, like we just talked about, there was no curiosity about who you are and there was already an assumption. Right. And then there's somebody in the room that you don't even really know why they're there or what they're doing or they're taking notes on everything you're saying, which would make even me paranoid. And so there then you have a lack of safety at that point like you're not going to feel like it's this authentic interaction of somebody who you don't even know why they're there is taking notes on every word you're saying and i think that brings us to another piece of what our listeners want to be looking for in the room and that's really having accurate empathy right and I haven't used that term accurate empathy until I've been super into this effective psychotherapist book I've been talking about that thinking about empathy is something that, you know, anybody can do for someone that they put themselves in their shoes and, you know, try to imagine how they're feeling. Well, that psychiatrist obviously had almost no empathy for what it would be like for someone to come in in a vulnerable state be given a diagnosis before they even meet them because they talk to somebody else about who you were before you even got in the room and then have a stranger in the room. So I think that that's like a 180 of what we're looking for. Um, but to get more specific about what our therapists who are listening can also be thinking about in their own work, because I know it's something that I have to think about all the time, almost in every session, is this idea of what is accurate empathy. So empathy of just putting yourself in somebody's shoes is one thing, but for a therapist, we have to really examine 
when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes, how much of our own bias and our own experience is being projected onto that person. We call that counter-transference, right? And that if you're there trying to tell a story, let's say you're trying to tell the therapist how sad you are, let's say you're telling a therapist that you just lost your father and immediately the therapist jumps in because let's say he or she lost their father and have a lot of grief because he was a great guy and they loved their dad and so they come forward with this empathy of, oh my goodness, that must be so hard. I am so sorry for your loss. And then the the client sitting there going, no, I hated my father. I never knew him. I just came here because I realized how much rage I had, you know, after he passed away. So in order to have accurate empathy, you have to have that curiosity first, right? Of what was this experience actually like for the person in front of me? So what about the opposite, right? Say someone goes to a therapist and says something that the therapist does not have empathy for. Say it is someone who experienced domestic violence and it's a female therapist and the person who came in is talking about uh, they can't stop abusing their partner There is no authentic empathy. I mean, you can fake it or (laughs) tell them to find another therapist. Honestly, Corey, it's literally in our ethics code that we shouldn't be seeing someone where our bias is so big that we're having trouble having any empathy or, I mean, it doesn't say anything about empathy in particular, but just that our bias might be getting in the way. Um, to the point where we can't have a good therapeutic relationship, which is all that matters when it comes to effective psychotherapy, right? And so like that example you just gave, I would be one of those therapists who is too biased. And I've been in that situation before. And you have to be really honest with the client and let them know that you don't think you're going to be the best therapist for them because you're having such a bias reaction. And it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage for a therapist to admit and a lot of humility that right. they're not able to put aside their bias enough to have that empathy. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have the same experience as all your clients. Otherwise, we would, you know, I know that's actually really true in the AA. Like there's a little controversy around whether people who have never been in recovery should be helping people get sober. I used to hear that a lot when I worked in the field, but um, in therapy, we don't have to have had the experience to have accurate empathy, but we have to have genuine curiosity, right? Just like somebody's from a different culture from us or has different values. Sometimes, even if I do have a pretty strong bias, like, you know, I have men clients that are, you know, different than me in their politics and their values. And as a feminist, you know, I have to get to know them in a way that allows me to understand how they develop the beliefs that they have. And then I do have genuine empathy because I see how it's self-protective for them to think and behave and value some of the things they do, even if it's different than me. So, Unless it's extreme, I think therapists out of truly genuinely caring and understanding and trying to understand can develop that accurate empathy or just empathy at all. 
And to clear up the uh, part about AA, it's not a uh, misconception of the program itself. It's basically an ignorance of people who are first coming into treatment, you know, and I've seen this a lot. Someone comes to treatment, they're 20, 22 years old, and the person who's running the group, you know, they ask, uh, are you are you an alcoholic? Are you a junkie? And the person's like, no, I'm not. I'm not in recovery. And they're like, mind shuts off, can't possibly help me. Or a therapist, right? A therapist that they're seeing in treatment who hasn't had substance use disorder problems, uh, the individual believes can't possibly help them. And I know for a fact that's not true. I've worked with a lot of people, and that's just well, shutting ourselves off to... It could be true for for some of them, like, but... You know, I've had I've had clients in recovery seek me out because I wasn't in recovery, that they just wanted to kind of have a fresh view. But I, I think it's possible that that maybe there are therapists who don't understand enough. In fact, I'm actually remembering an old friend who um, she actually was definitely an alcoholic. She wasn't a really good friend, but I I knew her well and her life pretty well. And she finally got herself to a therapist who had no experience in recovery. And um, the therapist, she told the therapist she was having cravings. And the therapist told her, well, you've quit before. You know, then you can be confident that you'll be able to quit again. <laughs> and so obviously the therapist knew absolutely nothing about recovery, which brings us, you know, back on track here to, again, our last episode when we talked about making sure that the therapist has at least some experience or training or way of trying to understand an issue that they might not have experience with that you're bringing to them and you know, I think in this case of my friend that it actually was a problem that this therapist had not even experience or supervision or training about recovery because she did. She went back to drinking and I never saw her stop. She maybe have stopped now, but she didn't have the same willpower she did the first time she had stopped. The woman was absolutely wrong, as you know, to tell her, if you've done it once, you can do it again so you can drink, you know? Yeah. And 12 step isn't about willpower. So obviously that woman knew nothing about recovery and couldn't help her. But my point was more so that someone doesn't necessarily have to have direct experience in order to be helpful. So there are definitely therapists and helpers and healers who know enough to help or open enough to help and there are definitely people that can give wrong advice uh, like you know even thinking that uh, someone having willpower to quit drinking once means they can do it again but the therapist that i'm with now for example doesn't have a whole lot of experience with substance use disorder, but I didn't go to him for that because I've been to enough therapists who told me, you know, don't take drugs to realize that that's the surface 
level, right? That's the beginning of healing is stopping the substances in order to get to a place where I can start to understand the the history and the patterns that lead to behaviors that have me acting in ways that I don't want to act even though I'm aware of that. So he has an empathy and an understanding that is very authentic and what was the word you used? Accurate empathy. Accurate empathy. <laughs> it's yeah. from it's from the effective psychotherapist book. I don't want to steal it, but I love it. Accurate empathy. Yeah. So it seems accurate. He actually understands that there is a reason for me doing things that I maybe don't want to do and also want to do on certain levels. There are these conflicting parts of of self, right? And healing comes from this and a combination of of other things. Corey, can you get more specific about just for our listeners and even for other therapists like and then I know we need to wrap up our episode today, but I would love our listeners to hear cuz I know how much you appreciate the work you're doing with your therapist right now as you're speaking of at this moment and w- can you give words to what it is that you feel like he's doing in the room that helps you know that the therapy is going somewhere and is giving you that that information you need or that empathy that you need to figure out those underlying issues? I think that I can. Um, He doesn't necessarily give advice. He basically shows me the picture of what's going on the action, the behavior from a different perspective and gets me to understand it uh, from a different point of view, which isn't mine or yours or his, but just is this perspective that's kind of stepped away from the moment and the emotions that go along with it and kind of see the bigger picture. So he doesn't have to give advice, but there's times that I kind of seek it. I want to know what to do about a you know, particular issue. I want to know how to proceed without making this same mistake again. And it reminded me of different people and, and ways they gave advice. And one of the smartest ways I'd ever heard was um, was actually through an AA person who said, uh, consider trying add whatever you want in here, but like, you know, picking up trash for a week if you're dealing with uh, selfishness or something, right? Consider X for a week or not. And that was, I, I thought that was really brilliant. My therapist doesn't do that, but he does just point out a different perspective where there is a lack of shame or guilt, or blame, and more an opportunity for healing. I think it's great that we ended on the note of kind of what to look for. And even though, you know, you weren't speaking of a therapist, but ending, you know, advice with or not, or is that true for you, or a therapist being able to check it out if they do give advice. In the book I've been speaking of, the research shows that advice doesn't really have that many great outcomes in terms of therapy, you know, helping a client reach their goals. 
But sometimes if it's done the right way, it can. And I think your therapist now offering a different perspective, some of what we need to be doing in therapy is helping our clients move closer to reality. Now, reality is a bit subjective. So a therapist does have to continue to check again, their own bias on what reality is. But there are some basic things around like danger or self-harm or that, or becoming sort of obsessive about a fantasy of somebody you're in, want to be with romantically that I think a therapist sometimes in order to bring the client a little bit closer to reality that seems like it would help them make decisions that would be more self-protective they have to offer that other perspective and so I know your therapist has been around the block he's pretty well experienced in the field and I think you become more and more skilled as a therapist I don't think that I'm quite there yet but I think you become more and more skilled at offering a perspective that brings the client closer to reality and closer to decisions that are going to help them self-protect and have awareness of where they are finding ways to stay in fantasy rather than kind of face the reality in front of them. I really see it often in romantic love situations where we all kind of start to develop these fantasies and get a little bit stuck on them and not able to see where we're no longer protecting ourselves and honoring our own safety sometimes, our emotional safety even in those relationships. So I think we've covered a lot today and I hope that our listeners, whether they be therapists or clients, that gives us all something to think about in terms of when you, you're paying a therapist and you're in the room and you're wondering if it's working, I think if you ask that therapist before you got there all the questions we talked about in the last episode, and then you get there and you're really just sinking in and thinking like, is this, does this feel like this therapist is authentic with me? Does it feel like they're genuinely curious that they really have a desire to understand me and be empathic in a way that is a match for what I'm actually experiencing. And if they make a mistake, are they willing to check it out with me and repair it with me and be humble? And in their advice giving, are they being careful about not giving advice that's outside of you know, their professional license and that they're not giving advice that's based on their bias or their opinion, but that it's actually rooted in something that's there to help them feel safe or um, that's there to help them make decisions that are in their best interest. So I think we've we've covered a lot today, Corey, and I really hope it helps our listeners. Thanks, Dr. Cole. I also would like to add, I've, I've seen a lot of therapists and I know now that if I'm sitting in the room and I know this person is not helping me to to get out, to leave, and find someone. Well, you've probably seen more therapists than anybody I've ever met in my life, Corey. So that's why we bring you on as an expert <laughs> in that field. An well, expert lifelong Well, some that I know that can be helpful and some that I just know are not going to be. But there's still this part of me that wants to heal that tells me stay in the room because maybe there's something I'm missing when everything in my gut tells me this person doesn't have a fucking clue how to help me and they're not going to. So I appreciate you being here. Um, 
um, I appreciate having a therapist who doesn't tell me to be grateful and give legal advice. <laughs> I appreciate that we get to continue to do this, and uh, I especially appreciate our partner, Toby Wright, four-time Grammy Award-winning music producer and creator of Tomes. Hi again, Toby. Hi, Corey. How is it going? Good, thanks. Uh, <laughs> would you tell us a little more about Tomes and what you're going to play for us today? Absolutely. This is a very interesting podcast. I'm really enjoying hearing it. Good. But thank you both. And um, as I stated earlier, we're going to experience a Tomes sound bath. But first, if you're not familiar, a little explanation about what Tomes is. Tomes is a natural sleep and sound healing portal available on the internet at www.tomes.com. It's a new technology that I am the proud founder and creator of. It is comprised of frequencies that possess components of healing and human emotion. It is a culmination of 15 years of extensive research that was prompted because of a car accident which caused major injury to the nerves on the right side of my body. This also caused depression and anxiety due to the type of injury and the lack of the help from all the doctors that I approached. This is a longer story than I have time for today, but we'll get into that on future podcasts, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, today's sound bath is called Tiamo, which means love in Italian. I developed this tonality to help everyone who has stress and strife in their daily lives. It's designed to invoke happiness, love, and feelings of togetherness, along with general well-being. Please come and check out Tomes, which may help with depression, anxiety, and getting a good night's healing sleep. It can be found at www.tomes.com. That's www.t-a-u-m-m-h-o-m-s.com. So now let's enjoy a brief sound bath. Introducing Tiamo, a sound bath from Tomes. Thank you, Toby, for that Tiamo from Tomes. Dr. Cole, I appreciate you spending more time with me to do another podcast. And to all of our listeners, please join us next week for Does Finding a Therapist Online Really Work? This is uh, going to be a fun one, similar to online dating. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you for joining us for this episode if you have any questions please contact info at createoutcomes.com thank you see you next week <laughs>